My readings this morning are, I have two readings, both by um, Judith Forst. The first one is entitled Midlife Crisis. What am I doing with a midlife crisis? This morning I was 17. I have barely begun the begin and it's good night ladies already. While I've been wondering who to be when I grow up someday, my acne has vanished away and it's sagging kneecaps already. Why do I seem to remember Pearl Harbor? Surely I must be too young. When did the boys I once clung to start losing their hair? Why can't I, uh, why can't I take barefoot walks in the park without giving my kidneys a chill? There's a poetry left in me still, and it doesn't seem fair. While I was thinking I was just a girl, my future turned into my past. The time for wild kisses goes fast, and it's time for Sanka already. And the second is called Facing the Facts. I'm facing the fact that I will never write Dante's Inferno, or paint a Picasso, or transplant a kidney, or build an empire. Nor will I ever run Israel or Harvard, appear on the cover of Time, star on Broadway, be killed by a firing squad for some noble ideal. Find the answers to racial injustice, or whether God is dead, or the source of human unhappiness, alter the theories of doctors S. Freud, C.G. Kung, Young, C.G. Jung, I think it said, or A. Einstein, or maybe the course of history. In addition to which, I am facing the fact that I'll never compose Bach cantatas, design St. Lorenz, advise presidents, head U.S. Steel, resolve the Mideast crisis, be the hostess of some major talk show, or cure the cold. And although future years may reveal some hidden potential, some truly magnificent act that I've yet to perform, or some glorious song to be sung for which I'll win prizes and praise, I must still face the fact that they'll never be able to say, and she did it so young. So three elderly men are walking along a beach. One of them remarks to his cohorts, it's windy today. No, the second one says, it's Thursday. <laughs> so am I, says the third, let's have a beer. <laughs> we laugh at such jokes as these because the human condition is just kind of funny sometimes. Here's another one. Sitting on the side of the highway, waiting to catch speeders, a state police officer sees a car puttering along at 22 miles an hour. He thinks to himself, this driver is just as dangerous as a speeder. So he turns on his lights and pulls the driver over. Approaching the car, he notices that there are five elderly women, two in the front seat and three in the back, wide-eyed and white as ghosts. The driver, confused, says to him, Officer, I don't understand. I was doing exactly the speed limit. What seems to be the problem? Ma'am, the police officer replies, you weren't speeding, but you should know that driving slower than the speed limit 
can also be a danger to other drivers. Slower than the speed limit? No, sir, I was doing the speed limit exactly. 22 miles an hour, the old woman proudly replies. The officer explains to her that 22 was the route number, not the speed limit. A bit embarrassed, the woman grins and thanks the officer for pointing out the error. Before I let you go, ma'am, the officer says, I have to ask, is everyone in this car okay? These women seem awfully shaken. Oh, they'll be all right in just a minute, officer. We just got off of Route 212. <laughs> there are a lot of jokes about our elders, and a lot of them are pretty funny, largely because we recognize them. We see our relatives in them, or some of our older acquaintances. We see ourselves in them, or at least our potential. And it scares us, many of us, just slightly less than the idea of not growing old scares us. We, after all, never really expect it will happen to us. We never really expect that we will get old, that we will one day die, that it will one day become very personal for us, the gradual eroding of our capabilities, the final conclusion of our own personal sagas, at least as they play out in this life and in this place. When we were young, tomorrow was an eternity. The, the future stretched out in front of us in endless possibility. We were impatient for Christmas to come, for the school year to end, for graduation to occur. When we were young, when I grow up was a far off dream and death belonged to old people grandmotherly types, or old men who sat on benches. Though perhaps we were frightened by the monster that lived beneath the bed, and as we grew older, maybe murder, mayhem, and war, the fear became different as we aged, somehow less intense but more frighteningly certain. There was always the hope when we feared death as children that somehow we could escape it. Though our morbid imaginations were more vivid and our vulnerability more obvious, thus the fear more intense, we never really believed the outcome was certain. As we age, though, we become less capable of imagining we will somehow beat it, somehow manage to sneak by unnoticed, to slip by its grasp. We are moved out of our denial and fits and starts, a brief awareness of apprehension as we pluck out that first gray hair or two, a, moment, a momentary foreboding as we unexpectedly catch sight of our aging selves in a mirror or a plate glass window, a flash of fear as we meet up with a childhood friend we haven't seen in years. If they are now 30 years older and middle-aged or 50 years older and elderly, is it possible that we are too? As these experiences become more common, we slowly begin to consider our own aging and mortality, quick peaks and sidelong glances at first, and then gradually a little more straightforward and forthright viewing. 
we begin grudgingly to come a little bit more to terms with aging and death. Several women were sitting around a table waiting for a meeting to begin. Not all of the participants were there yet, and the talk was idle, its purpose just to kill time. One woman unfolded her hands and examined them dispassionately. I have my mother's hands, she pronounced, whereupon the other woman looked at her own hands. So do I, she responded. Both continued to look at their hands a moment longer and then folded them again, and the talk moved on. There seemed to be no value placed upon their pronouncements. They were neither proud they were neither proud nor derogatory remarks, but rather simply statements of fact. Both women knew it would happen. It just was a matter of when. We all know it will happen. We will become our parents, whether they are our biological parents, whose hands will become our hands, or our adoptive or foster parents, whose tone of voice will slip unexpectedly into our own admonishments or excited utterances, whose gestures will become our gestures. We will become our parents, most of us, in small ways or large, because that is the nature of things. And we may not like it as much as we love our parents, for seeing signs of our parents in ourselves brings us most bluntly face to face with the fact of our own aging and our own finiteness. Don't worry, this gets more cheerful toward the end. <laughs> I am not very evolved in this area. I lie about my age, I admit it, and I continue to lie even though I know that most of you probably have a pretty good idea about how old I am. Partly this is because I am in denial about how quickly time passes. It's amazing, isn't it? How quickly time passes. I remember so clearly the day I ran into my bedroom at age four, throwing myself onto my bed and sobbing my grief that I couldn't go off to school as my two older brothers did every morning. I, re I remember finally going to school and being awakened to reading putting letters together into words and words into sentences and sentences into stories, astonished at the promise of this whole new world spreading out before me. I well remember the self-doubt and misery of middle school, the fleeting but clear promises of pride and assurance in high school. My first job and the supervisors who fought with each other as to how my work was to be done. I remember my brothers going off to war, my father regularly seating himself in front of the old portable typewriter and painstakingly typing out letters to each of them, such personal interactions seeming so unlike him. I remember marriages and funerals and births and work and play, all of it clearly making off, marking off the hours and moments of our lives while we remained largely unaware. I remember taking my first college class. I was in my 40s and had chosen an intro to sociology class as my very first effort. 
at the end of the very first class session, I went up to introduce myself to the professor. I told her I had been out of high school for 20 years or so, and that hers was the first college class I had ever taken. Oh, that's wonderful, she said. I just attended a medical school commencement in which one of the graduates was in his 60s. Wow, that was the universe speaking to me for sure. For at least a decade prior to taking that first class, I had thought on and off about maybe taking a few college courses, but had, had always given up the idea because I felt I was too old. If I ever managed to graduate, I thought I'd be too old to get in, start a new, a new career anyway. And now I'm a minister. <laughs> when I finally took the leap and then heard about a medical school graduate in his 60s, I was powerfully affirmed and encouraged. What I have since learned is that it really is never too late. Listen to this list of later life accomplishments, beginning with the actually youthful age of 55. At 55, Tom Wolfe published his first novel, The Bonfire of the Vanities. Mark Twain learned to ride a bike at age 55. At 56, Handel composed The Messiah and Cervantes published Don Quixote. At age 60, John Goodson Borglum started carving Mount Rushmore, and Victor Hugo published Les Miserables. At 65, Joseph Haydn wrote Austria's national anthem. At age 71, Colette published Gigi. At 72, Ansel Adams made his first trip to Europe and had a major showing of his photos at the Met. At 76, Grandma Moses began painting, began at 76. At 79, she had her first showing in New York City. At 80, Claude Monet began a series of 12 large paintings of water lilies. He was ill and virtually blind from cataracts. At 81, Benjamin Franklin helped write the United States Constitution. At age 85, Carl Sandburg published Honey and Salt, which included poems that some critics consider his very best. Also at 85, Coco Chanel was the head of her own fashion design firm. Isn't that exciting? And I have more. At 87, Toscanini conducted an all Wagner concert at Carnegie Hall. At 88, Arthur Rubinstein gave 12 piano concerts in America and 15 in Europe. At 89, Albert Schweitzer was running a hospital in Africa, and Mary Baker Eddy was directing the Christian Science Church. At 90, Andre Segovia was, still traveled the world playing over 50 concert, concerts on his classical guitar. At 91, Eamon de Valera served as president of Ireland. Also at 91, Frank Lloyd Wright continued work on the Marin County Government Center and several other projects. At 92, Bertrand Russell wrote an article for Playboy 
entitled Semantics in the Cold War. At 96, he wrote on religion, the humanist. At 95, UB Blake played for the Newport Jazz Festival. At 99, he was still accepting paying gigs. At 100, Grandma Moses continued painting and completing 25 more works of art. And at 100 plus years, the Delaney sisters co-authored a memoir, noting among many other things, the probable foolishness of lending companies continuing to mail them offers of credit. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> These are but a few examples of famous people who have accomplished great things in later years. There are many, many more people not so famous, people that you and I know, maybe people that you and I are or will become. It is never too late. But it also is important for us to remember that we don't have to be famous or do famously noted things to make a difference. We all make a difference. We all already have made a difference. All of us, no matter our age, we have touched lives and we will continue to do so. We impact one friend at a time, one acquaintance, one stranger. We impact one child at a time, one soul at a time, often in small ways, maybe even just one iota at a time. I believe it was Norman Lear who said, only one of us can catch the brass ring. For most of us, the joy is in riding the carousel. We ride life's carousel in the company of all those others sharing time and space with us, rubbing shoulders, touching elbows, standing as witness to one another's lives, either intimately or culturally, individually or communally. We make a difference in one another's lives. And the older we get, the more of a difference we will have made. It's a math thing. The older we get, the more influence we will have had, and from the wisdom of our years and experiences, the more influence we can have still if we keep our spirits young enough to remain involved. Doug Larson tells us, the aging process has you firmly in its grasp if you never get the urge to throw a snowball. That urge to throw snowballs is crucial for us to continue to touch souls, and touching souls is what we best and most assuredly do. It's all that most of us are likely, really, to do, and it's a lot. So as we think about the ending of another year in a couple of weeks, and the beginning of a brand new year, let us be filled with possibility and hope inspiration and joy, and a sense of great, great adventure. So, this older guy goes to the doctor for a checkup. Doctor, you're in great shape for a 60-year-old. Guy, who says I'm 60? Doctor, you're not 60? How old are you? 
die. I turn 80 next month. Doctor, gosh, 80? Do you mind if I ask you at what age your father died? Guy, who says my father's dead? <laughs> Doctor, he's not dead? Guy, nope, he'll be 104 this year. Doctor, with such a good family medical history, your grandfather must have been pretty old when he died. Guy, who says my grandfather's dead? <laughs> Doctor, he's not dead? Guy, nope, he'll be 129 this year and he's getting married next week. <laughs> Doctor, gee whiz, why at his age would he want to get married? Guy, who says he wants to? <laughs> and to that, all the gathered people said, Amen. <laughs> So now let's turn to a time of meditation, reflection, contemplation. Spoken words for the meditation today are by Richard S. Gilbert. Let us learn to play with life, for we seem to work too hard at it. Let us learn to sing when we have only spoken for the melody casts our words on winds of hope. Let us learn to enjoy cadences of poetry instead of pages of prose, for they may be closer to the rhythm of life. Let us make room for fancy while we give fact a rest. Let us take more time to build a snowman than to shovel a walk. Let us lift our face and let the snow caress our eyes and tantalize our tongues while we forget its treacherous underfoot. Let us learn to smile when we are tired with the work we must do. Let us laugh when our tensions give rise to anger. Let us learn to be merciful when we want to be judgmental. Let us play in the fields of myth and legend, for news and facts will always be there. Let us sample the whimsical words of the poets more than the studied words of the scholars. Let our thoughts roam in realms of imagination rather than linger in quagmires of reality. May hope find its way into our hearts even when our minds tell us there is no hope May charity speak to us even when we have nothing to give. May loving kindness be with us when our store of love is exhausted. Let it be so for a time, for a season, and perhaps that season will linger and take hold, never to let us go. Let us consider these words in a moment of shared silence.
Amen.